So you want to build muscle. Well, you've come to the right place. We unpack everything you need to know about getting stuck into the gym and building muscle, from what and how much you should eat to the optimal sets, reps and exercises to really see those pythons grow. So whether you're just starting out or you've been at it a while, there's going to be something for you to take away in today's episode that will skyrocket your muscle building journey. Oh, and as always, we'll be pulling numbers and data from all over the place. So check out the show notes for any citations if you want some peace of mind that we are exploring the latest and greatest scientific evidence and not pulling random figures out of thin air. Let's get into this week's episode. Good evening, Thomas. How are we on this fine September's evening? Yeah, I'm. I, I'm okay. I'm okay. I've been doing a bit of gardening today, so uh, yeah. gardening. Yeah, I'm a gardener now. You know, but you're a gardener. Well, now I've got a lot more free times on my hand. I've started, you know, taking care of the garden, which you know has been just left to run wild, literally for the past year. So yeah, I'm a gardener now. I say it's a garden. It's my Jurassic Park out there. It is. Well, I've left it unattended. It is fucking crazy. I mean, at this point, I'm surprised your garden's not made of cake, uh, if we stay on brand. <laughs> I know. It, it could have been. I just might not have noticed. I won't know until I try it. I pick up a worm, put it in my mouth, bite into it, and guess what? It's cake. <laughs> nope, it's actually a worm. Oh, it's actually... Oh, okay. Right. Because well, what lunatic would be putting worm-disguised cakes into oh, my right. garden? Um, if you are new around here, this is probably sounding all very weird, but if you listen to the first two episodes of this series... The cake thing will make sense, I promise. So that is basically me saying, go listen to them to get up to date. To be honest, I'd be very, very worried and concerned if it did make sense to them, if they didn't understand the original context. If they were listening yeah. to this going, oh, yes, worm eating. Yeah, been there, yeah. done that. Oh, this sounds like my kind of guy. He eats worms. So far in this series, we've helped you start the gym. We we've are here. you lose some weight. Wait, what? We are here. What do you mean we're here? What, to what? get swole. Oh, we're here to get swole. We are here and to get swole. And Swolio Banderas, the third season of uh, Swalton Abbey. Hashtag gains, hashtag lightweight baby. Yep. There's loads of other ones, I just forgot what they were. Uh, yeah, what, what other ones could we do? Lord of the Swole. I'll tell you what, we could... Uh, gains, puns. Movie title is always a good one. Oh, no, sexual puns. No, let's move we, very we fast away from this. <laughs> sexual puns. Yeah, let's move. we were going to have some fun, but we're going to move this on because uh, fully aware that could take us down some... Uh, we've, we've had enough sexual conversations in the last couple of weeks, so we'll keep it there. Hopefully it doesn't come again this week. We'll soon find out. Um, so yeah, as I said, we've uh, helped you lose weight. We've helped you start the gym. Uh, now we're going to help you build some serious muscle. Um, so in this episode, we are going to be focusing on building muscle in the sense of hypertrophy or hypertrophy, however you want to say it. Uh, so trying to increase the size of your muscles. Uh, and while, yes, you could say muscle and strength gains are, are pretty linked, and you'll, you'll tend to see growth in both if you train one or the other. We're going to try and keep this pretty focused on, you know, growing absolute pythons, growing quadzilla, um, and getting a bum that takes 45 minutes to navigate. So nice, big, um, <laughs> peachy muscles, as you could say. Uh, because, as I said, a lot of today will cross over, but it's just easier, easier for us to talk about and easier for you to listen to if we try and stay in one lane as opposed to keep going backwards and forwards between strength and muscle gains. Because, as I said, they're similar, but they're not... Yeah, exactly the same. I mean, they do they do go hand in hand, as you've pretty much said, but you can emphasise one more than the other. That's not to say that like, it's completely mutually exclusive. Kiss, keep it stupid, simple. 
keep it super simple is going to be the, the motto, I think, going forward in this episode. Yeah. Or you could say the other end, which is keep it simple, stupid. But that just sounds insulting. Yeah, that sounds a bit salty, yeah. You basically said something stupid, yeah. Keep it stupidly simple or keep it simple, stupid. Slut. <laughs> <laughs> God, that went... Did he spell, did he spell that bit? Slut. <laughs> um, right, moving on to the beginning. So where to start is really where we should where we should start, really. Um, so if you're brand new, obviously if you've like never been to the gym before, but you've decided you woke up and gone, right, you know what? I want to get some absolute fucking... Um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other words for muscles. What other slang words can we think for muscles, Tom? I've said pythons. I've said quadzilla. The guns. The gut. Yeah, the you swans. want to get some absolute guns. Yeah, you want to get some guns that the that the Royal Artillery would be envious of. So, <laughs> the first thing yeah. you need to do yeah. is you need to find a gym. You need to find a location to actually grow these guns. Um, but if you do want a comprehensive guide to start at the gym, as I did allude to at the start, we do have the first episode of this series. So you want to start the gym? Listen to that because that'll give you a nice good overview of starting the gym if you're brand new. Um, essentially, the first piece of advice, especially when you're new to select a gym, is I would say, though if you agree with Tom, is select a gym that's not a ball lake to get to. So if you've got to travel two hours by train to get to your gym, it's going to be a bit of a ball lake. So because the, the issue, I, the issue on what I'm saying is really saying that is because when you first start the gym, creating the habit of going consistently is is a trick um, and if you've got to cross fucking Mordor and catch a ferry to Hogwarts to get there those days when you're not bothered to go you're just not going to go because it's just too much of a ball to get there so you want to make it as easy as possible to get to the location where you're going to grow some guns I mean at the end of the day like if you start up a new like a routine or a new hobby which is going to be lifting in the first place it's going to require some effort anyway so you don't want to add extra unnecessary effort by picking a place that you need to go to that is very way out of town mm-hmm you know, any kind of commercial gym would do. And to be honest with you, you know, even though we're saying like, I'll join a gym, which is a good start, you can totally do this at home if you've got the right equipment oh, for sure. as well. But we're just, you know, once again, kiss, you know, keep it simple, slut. We're, we're just saying like, you know, join a gym is a nice start. And, uh, you know, it gives you a chance to try try before you buy if you do want to get a home gym at the end of the day. Instead of going buying all that tacky, you know, wonder ab stuff, you can try out dumbbells, you could try out body pump equipment, you could try out resistance bands, you could try all the proper dumbbells and barbells. And, you know, you're probably not going to want to buy machines for your house unless it was like multi-gyms. Mm. It's a nice start to join a gym just to kind of try before you buy in case you do want to work out at home. Yeah, but I mean, anecdotally speaking as well, because it wasn't too long ago I had a garage gym, Sometimes it's actually good just to go to a gym for the environment because sometimes if you work, let's say you're yeah, home a lot, agreed. going going to your garage or something, you've not really changed locations. So it's kind of hard to get into that mindset. Whereas when you actually physically walk into a gym, everyone else is in that same um, mindset of training. It gets you into that rhythm. So it makes it a little bit easier for you to actually get into your workout as opposed yeah. to just sort of crawling out of your living room going to your garage and training it's kind of hard to get into that zone sometimes plus it does uh it does kind of help to know you're in an environment where like if you are fucking around there might be people watching so it kind of gets you into that mindset of i'm not going to take a 10 minute rest here so when i used to train at my uh, home gym you know a three minute rest would turn into a five minute rest just because i'm not worried about anyone watching me so yeah training a commercial gym does like help because it's that kind of environment okay you're now in the gym You've got your location, you've walked in and gone, wow, we. And now we're going to talk about those early stages because I think we're echoing something we've said before. I think you mentioned it uh, in a previous podcast. I think I mentioned it in a video is that you are a blank canvas. So any brushstroke you leave is going to make a mark. Um, so there is a good thing and a bad thing about this. So 
if you walk in, I think you said a couple of weeks ago, Tom, having a go, you know, push something, pull something, hinge something, squat something, finding something you enjoy yeah. is a good thing. It's a great thing because anything you do is going to make a mark. You'll probably see pretty good gains straight away. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, particularly as a, when a personal trainer, when I get asked, oh, what, what is a good exercise for, you know, arms? It's like straight away I can think of so many. I can think of so many variations with different pieces of equipment. So straight away my advice is to actually break that down a little bit and say, look, instead of asking what your best exercise is, just think about what is a movement you can do and then straight away it narrows down the amount of exercises you can choose from. So that's where I say, yeah, just think about somewhere you can push something, pull something, hinge something, squat something. Because then straight away it's like, okay, I want to do a movement where I can push something. All right, sweet. So we know it's going to work your chest. So now we've opened that up. We can now select from those movements. Okay, pushing something, um, something with chest press. Okay, that breaks it down further. Okay, am I going to do that with a barbell? Am I going to do that on a machine? Am I going to do that with dumbbells? So see what I mean? Like one, thing, one framework leads to another framework, leads to another framework. Instead of just saying, what exercise should I do for arms? And straight away, it's like, boom, here's a thousand exercises for you. So yeah, yeah, just breaking it down to those movements is a nice starting point. Because then you know that as long as you break it down to those movements, you can't really go wrong with what movement you're doing to target one particular muscle group. If you're listening carefully, I did say the bad thing as well. And the bad thing I'd say is you get skewed expectations because, as we said, any brushstroke is going to leave a mark. So in those early days, you buy, you're just fucking around doing a bit of pushing and pulling, hinging, squatting, etc. You'll see some pretty good progress with you not really having much care of what's going on. The problem is, once your body starts to adapt to these, this new stimulus and starts to you start to progress a little bit, it doesn't. You start to have to be a bit more calculated, a bit more tactical with how you do things. So if your expectations are, oh well, if I just do a little bit of this, I'm going to grow muscle. When once that goes, you're going to be like, oh, why the fuck's it stopped all of a sudden? And the reason is because you've just you've you've got past that initial newbie phase of adaptation to the new stimulus, yeah. and now you're going to have to start being a bit more on it. So you could potentially get skewed expectations. So that's just something to be mindful of. The body adapts, and it's a pretty amazing organism. At the end of the day, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not like a blueprint of a mechanical device where it's like, okay, this device is particularly designed to pick up this much and only ever this much. Mm. Anything over that is going to break. Whereas as humans, you know, we adapt to that. We can adapt. We can eventually pick up heavier fins and we can grow muscles to help us with that as well. But the thing is, yeah, like, as you said, Bill, we'll adapt. We go for those initial newbie games and everyone's different. You know, everyone's different about when they can kind of plateau a little bit. And that's a case where, okay, now we need to start looking at progressive loading and stuff like that. Another good thing to think about when you're starting in this early phase where, as I said, you can essentially fuck about, as I keep saying, um, it's a really good time now to just make sure you're working on getting things in set for your recovery game. Because when you start ramping th- things up and start to get a bit more intense with it, to really you know, push past that uh, adaptation you've already had in those additional newbie gains, you need to think about what you're doing to recover because you can be equipped with all the knowledge in the world about training sessions or you can have the best program designed by the best PT in the fucking world, hypothetically. But the truth is your muscles grow when you rest and recover. What you do in the gym is, of course, important. But if your resting and recovery system is shit and you're not doing the right things, you are limiting quite heavily what you can actually gain. So essentially what happens is you stress the muscles with an appropriate dose, which we will come on to the appropriate dose. You then provide the muscles with the fuel to grow and give them the time to rest and recover. So if you've not got those things in place before you start ramping things up, you're just going to limit yourself a little bit. And as we talk about, there is an amount of muscle you could probably expect to see. So if you want to be on the higher end of that muscle gain, using this early time to work on your recovery, make sure it's set, 
even when you might feel like you're not that tired because you're quite new and you're not doing as much as you might think you need to. It's a good time now to think to yourself, okay, what do I actually need to do to recover appropriately as I go forward? And I suppose the foot, excuse me. <laughs> so funny. That sounded very refreshing now. I was just enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah refreshing. Yeah, if it went down the wrong, wrong hole. Um, so I think the first thing we should probably talk about, Tom, is protein because protein is the big one that comes up in conversation when we talk about muscle. Uh, if you want to listen to a full podcast on protein supplementation, uh, we did do one in an earlier series. The link for that is chatshitgetfit.com slash protein or you'll find it somewhere on your podcast app. But essentially, we'll keep it as the, the brand, keep it on brand. Stupid simple. We'll keep it stupid simple. Or as Tom's been saying, keep it, keep it stupid simple. Slut. The number you probably want to write down at this point. So if you've not got a pen and paper, don't worry about it. If you've not got anything, because you might be driving, who knows? But this number you need to remember. A good place to start is 1.6 grams of protein per kilo of body weight, or if you're stateside, about 0.75 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Or we could round up to 0.8. <laughs> well, we could, yeah, we could do, but I want it to be more accurate, mate. I want it to be more accurate. Effluent space. Very, yeah, very no, accurate. Very I mean, 0.8. Yeah, 0.8 is fine. But yeah, basically, uh, protein is, uh, nutritionally speaking, it is like the building blocks for recovery, you know, promoting growth. Yeah, promoting recovery, possibly reducing DOMS as well. Um, yeah, so protein, when it comes to macros, it is like the, the king of recovery, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and we won't, because some people like to talk about, oh, you should be having all this, you should be having chicken, broccoli and fucking rice. But as we've spoke about before, in a pyramid system, the important thing is, is getting the actual total daily amount sorted first then you can start looking at things like the quality of the protein the timing of the protein because if you're not even getting enough yeah to start with the other stuff's pretty irrelevant you know i mean if you're only getting if you're if you're only having chicken breast as your only protein source you're getting half what you need well, that's fucking shit you might as well just get other stuff in there because we spoke about before the total amount is what's important because once you get that amount the quality doesn't have as much as an impact i think it's right isn't it tom it, cause it's sort of you end up getting a broad enough amount of mm. amino acids anyway because you've hit that total, that large number anyway, I was just say. As you said, let's basically worry about getting the correct dosing for mm. now. Then we can worry about the uh, quality at a later date. Yeah, so first we want to actually provide a stimulus via training and then possibly start looking, well, I say possibly, and then probably start looking to things like protein. Uh, and a key for this one, I'll say if you, give you like an actionable tip you can do is for this first first week you're, you're sort of getting in this journey, spend a week doing a diary um, and writing down basically the stuff you're eating in your meals because then you can look at how much you're actually getting daily and if it's consistent because one day you might be having loads of protein but then the next few days might be nothing so if you're identifying things like this the worst thing you could probably do is run away of this number we've just given you 1.6 grams of protein per kilo body weight because if you're on let's say you're only getting 0.1 grams of protein per kilo body weight which is pretty unlikely but let's say you were if you were then to go straight up to 1.6 it's going to be very difficult for you to get into the habit of doing that and you're probably going to cause your body to shit and fart itself into a light coma because as we know more protein does tend to lead to the cliche of protein farts and stuff like that so if you do suddenly increase your protein dramatically overnight right. yeah it's um it could be a little bit emotional for all of those around you so yeah about doing it gradually but if you make that awareness thing first of how much you're actually getting then you can make a plan you know we want to be somewhere once again progressive overload you need to have time to kind of get used to the amount you're consuming. So that's why I'll never just say to someone like a new client whose usual diet is pretty shit in regards to their protein intake, I wouldn't say straight away, right, you've got this amount of protein, go. I'd actually say, okay, look, let's scale it up a little bit here. 
just so that's enough of a change for them where they've got to put conscious effort into, okay, yeah, I need to have this extra bit of protein here, but not enough that it's like I've completely like, I've grabbed the wheel and crashed us into a verge here. You know, it's like we're going from like 60 to 90. Okay. Maybe we can increase it to 120 once they feel comfortable getting 90 in consistently. Okay. Now let's get up to 100 and whatever. Yeah. So just gradually increase it. Tackling it a meal at a time is quite a good one. So you can like, if you look at each meal individually, okay, this meal is low in protein. How can I change that? And then maybe spend a week trying to make sure that you consistently hit protein with that meal. If you do that, then you could do another meal afterwards and then another meal. And then eventually you'll just ramp it up until you get to that 1.6 or 0.8 per pound. And then protein aside, protein, as you said, is the building blocks. But another thing you need to sort of focus on when you are trying to build muscle is you need to eat enough calories. And we're going to keep this really simple. We are going to go into some context and nuances and other little things. But basically, to keep it really simple, being in a calorie surplus, you'll grow muscle. Being in a calorie deficit, you'll lose fat. Some of you might be shitting yourself with excitement at this point going, oh, but you can lose fat and build muscle at the same time. We are going to come onto that a little bit. But it, you know, you are correct. But when we say as you're starting out, you want to keep it as simple as possible. And your best bet for enabling consistent adherence um, until it becomes more routine and habitual is just to basically tackle it one thing at a time. Okay, if you're trying to do both, it can get a bit more complicated. So and building muscle, as we are going to talk about and we have to speak about, requires consistent adherence. So if you're trying to do loads of different things at once, it's going to be very difficult to manage, juggle, and then your adherence might take a hit. Okay, so surplus to grow muscle deficit to lose fat we did talk about on the last episode about losing uh, weight there are a lot of calculators online which will give you a number if you put some details in about you know age weight height etc whatever and how much activity you're doing they will give you a number sort of rough guideline Um, if you want to listen to that episode as well we go into a little more detail but what we'll do first is as we'll look at some we'll look at some data just to give you a bit more on this Um, it's a major analysis from 2021 and it's titled energy deficiency impairs resistance training gains and lean mass but not strength a major analysis and major regression so this one's basically looking at people trying to make gains while in a deficit okay because for some people it might be it might it might look good on paper to be able to lose some fat and gain muscle at the same time so you look fucking shredded whatever but this paper basically suggests was it is the title basically says it will impair resistance training gains in lean mass but not strength and i want to touch on that first time that fact that the paper suggests that being in a deficit does not impair strength okay uh because people might run away with that and go oh i could be in a deficit and still get stronger well if we actually look at the analysis it generally included untrained participants in relatively short-term trials Um, and as we do know much of the early strength adaptations you make um, experienced by like novice lifters or somebody who's new to the gym like you might be listening they're normally attributed to factors that are pretty much unrelated to hypertrophy. So we're looking at neural update, neural adaptations and school acquisition. Yeah. yeah, so basically when you first start out, all these new things are happening. So a lot of that is the reason why if a new if a new gym, let's say you're new to the gym and you're in a deficit, you're still going to see strength gains because as we said, those those things are sort of basically unrelated. But still though, it's nice to know there's evidence out there that suggests that just because you're going into a deficit, you know, you're not automatically destined to be losing strength because I think that was like the common knowledge, uh, you know, prior to the amount of evidence we have now saying otherwise. So no, it's still nice to know that. But obviously in regards to, you know, hypertrophy, obviously we've got more evidence we're going to go into later on, but maybe it's not as uh, clear cut when it comes to hypertrophy. 
But essentially what we're finding looking at data and stuff is that the most direct way to fat loss is a calorie deficit and a calorie surplus offers, you could say, the path of least resistance when it comes to making gains in strength and mass. But of course, sometimes we're going to want a bit of chocolate cake and a bit of Victoria sponge. We keep things on the cake theme um, and that's fine. However, if we're in large energy deficits, so let's say you're at a 500 def deficit plus, which is a common deficit people like to go into, which is not really recommended, but we spoke about in the last episode, this will threaten your lean mass um, accretion. So the, the ability to gain lean mass. Okay, and, ex and extended periods. So let's say you're in a 500 calorie deficit for, I don't know, months at a time. This can impair strength gains as well. So that's when we're looking at people who are more... yeah trained as opposed to novice lifters okay so yeah well yes doing both is possible uh, you know so if you're a newbie and you want to perhaps shift some jelly and get some absolute pythons that's great mm. it won't be as difficult because you're new but as your body fat level decreases over time and your training status increases so you get a bit more advanced this effect will limit okay so that's just something to bear in mind and this kind of leads on to this conversation quite nicely i think tom of the whole thing of recomposition so you actually had a paper on this didn't you yeah i mean this was uh, by christopher barricott I remember when this paper came out and it it, it pretty much took like the, the world of bodybuilding by storm. So some of you might have heard of like body recompositions before. And basically the idea of that is where you can burn fat but gain muscle at the same time. And this was almost like a, an urban myth. Five years ago, you would have asked people about this. It would be like, oh, no, it's impossible. Absolutely impossible to do. Uh, but now it's studied by Barricat and I think it actually involved some other people as well that are quite well-known in the field, so people like Bill Campbell, and I'm getting way too nerdy here. But basically, this is a really good study where they, well, a review really, where they looked at several studies from novices in regards to strength training uh, to bodybuilders, uh, there were bikini models, uh, athletes, sorry, shouldn't say that, or even uh, athletes, I should say bikini competitors, shouldn't call them models. Uh, there was like, volleyball athletes so both male female a whole different range of like training age as well so some people been trained less than a month sorry less than six months not a month some people been trained less than six months some people been training for like 10 years basically a massive whole wide range of people and um, you know there was monitoring their diets their different kind of like uh, training regimes because you've got to remember this is like a review so they was going over several studies all at once here and um they pretty much concluded that under the right circumstances, so it's not a definite, but under certain circumstances, you can actually decrease your body fat whilst increasing your fat-free mass, which includes muscle. Um, I mean, pretty much they summed it up here, like a funny conclusion right now. Uh, Barricat concluded that despite the common belief that building muscle and losing fat at the same time is only plausible in novice slash obese individuals, the literature provided supports that trained individuals can also experience body recomposition. Uh, they even gave you some nice little uh, practical applications here as well. So they recommend, uh, yeah, implement a progressive resistance training regimen with a minimum of three sessions per week, which is totally fair. Tracking rate of progress and paying attention to performance and recovery can be important tools to appropriately adjust training over time. So, yeah, big importance on recovery then. I think that's where a lot of people fall short, uh, especially newbies. Consuming 2.6 to 3.5 grams of fat-free mass. I'm assuming they mean protein there. I'm not too sure. 
uh, may increase the likelihood or magnitude of recomposition. So that's a very high protein diet, a lot higher than what we yeah. recommended earlier. But of course, we're talking about novices, and that's just for like hypertrophy in general. We're not talking about body recomposition back then. We are now. Uh, protein supplements uh, they actually recommend yeah whey and casein may be used as a means to increase daily dietary protein intake well no shit there and uh, here's a big one Bill prioritising sleep quality and quantity may be an additional variable that can significantly impact changes in performance recovery and body recomposition and yeah I- I'd agree with that 100% so this is the thing isn't it because this is all good and well and people might be listening and getting excited now, but as this series and this episode is, it's at newbies. So this is there's a lot of things there that require context. So recomping can work, but when you're new, as we said, we were trying to keep this stupid simple. All of that there, there's a lot of stuff that you have to really hone in on. You have to have a bit more protein that's recommended. You have to really hone in on your program and your recovery. And when you're new, trying to do all of that at once is a fucking This is nightmare. if you've got all of your stars aligned, all yeah, your ducks are exactly, in Exactly, yeah. Then you could do it. So if you're new... Yeah, it's, it's, this is a good awareness piece to know that recomping is a thing and it's possible. But what I'd, I'd, I'd stick to what we said at the start. If you try to gain muscle, just get yourself in a surplus to start with. Okay, it's nice and simple. Just eat enough food to grow the muscle. It hasn't even got to be a crazy surplus as well. No, it hasn't got to be. Yeah, no, we're not saying like, <laughs> you haven't got to be like a thousand fucking calories, yeah. even not even five. It only has to be a little bit, basically. Enough to yeah. give your body something to play I wouldn't even recommend 500. With. I'd say... Yeah, a few hundred. Two, yeah, three. I'd say do like a... Play the, play the long game here. And do anything from an extra 200 to 300 calories on a daily basis, you know. And as long as you're tracking your progress and making sure you're not gaining body fat at an exponential rate compared to your, you know, fat-free mass or your muscle growth, then yeah, crack on. And obviously, we can we won't go into it really that much, but there is obviously people will look at this and think, "What about bulking and cutting?" Yeah, you've got bulking and cutting, but that's more of like I don't know, it's more bodybuilding territory as opposed to just building muscle for like a general gym goer. I think some people can go completely rogue with that as well where they're constantly spinning their wheels by not having enough time, you know, actually bulking or gaining. Yeah, sure. And then just thinking that they can just keep going back and forth, back and forth in every month, a month of bulking, a month of cutting, a month of bulking, a month of cutting. And it's like, no, no, just, it's, that's why I said, like, just play the long game with it. As long as you're at, like, a reasonable body fat already percentage, you know, if you was, like, say, if you was clinically obese... I think, you know, you have other things to be concerning yourself at that time other than hypertrophy. But I mean, uh, yeah, if you're already at like a reasonable body fat percentage, just go slow with a bulking process in a calorie surplus, 200, 300 calories. And uh, yeah, just go from there and just play a long game. You ain't got to be thinking about, well, I'm going to bulk for this long, then I'm going to cut for this long, etc. Uh, and something to just important we have we just mentioned as well in the last episode was if you're going in that little two three hundred calorie surplus make sure you're dynamic with it and you are aware of it and that you are changing it because that number will change over time otherwise you might find yourself plateauing and go why am i plateaued because you're now a maintain as opposed to a surplus because you've gained weight when you gain muscle you are going to gain weight so if you start gaining weight your energy requirements change so if you stick with this as we said a long game and you're doing two three hundred for a year over that year it's probably changed so just bear that in mind. It's good to just keep revisiting and go, okay, maybe I need to increase a little bit more now uh, to get myself back into that surplus. Uh, but when you're new, it should be a massive, massive, massive issue because when you're new, you're, it's not going to change like in the first week, is it? So, um... Now we're going to get on to some specifics on what you should do and how much in the gym. So if we start with 
exercises, so the actual exercises you do in the gym. I mean, my bias would be like big compound movements supplemented with more isolated movements, you could say. But really, what's important when you're first starting out yeah. is finding stuff you enjoy doing, finding the exercises you enjoy, whether that's free weights, Smith machines, kettlebells, fucking dumbbell base, or body weight even, because more enjoyment equals more adherence and consistency. And if you want to build muscle, you need to be adhering to your program consistently over time to see it. And if you're not enjoying the stuff you're doing, because I don't know if PT John said, you must do a bicep curl to get big biceps, but you hate bicep curls, you're not going to stick around and do it very long. You're going to get bored and fuck it off. Uh, your, your local friendly, I say friendly, they're never friendly, biomechanical expert has told you you've got to attach five resistance bands to the lat pull <laughs> down yeah. um, whilst your feet are nailed to the floor and you've got to flingle your flangle dongus at this many degrees and angle to get the proper cross-sectional area of your lats. You know, just, yeah, what a load of shit. That's not enjoyable. Obviously, to a point, though, if you want to do a certain thing, if you want to do everything that Tom just said and, I don't know, excel at that one exercise, and you're obviously going to have to do that one exercise, yeah, but... I'm not going to repeat it because I can't. Yeah, I don't even know what you said, but yeah. Obviously, to a point, if you're doing, if you need, if you, I don't know, if you want to be a really good squatter, you're going to have to do squats, I'm afraid. But if you're just trying to build muscle in your legs... You don't necessarily have to just do squats. There's other other ways of doing it. And to put into context, we're talking about hypertrophy, but then we also got strength. As we said, like even though they go hand in hand, they're both very different beasts. If that makes sense. Well, hopefully it will be when I speak a little bit more better now. But in regards to strength, in particular, if you want to get strong at a particular movement, let's say the squat, then more often than not, you're going to be doing that particular squat more often than not. Strength training is going to be more repetitive because a lot of it, as we said earlier, Bill, is going to be neuromuscular. So it's about doing the task going over and over and over again that become more efficient with it. But when it comes to hypertrophy, even though, yeah, it's about doing things over and over again, it's more about targeting the muscle groups rather than the movement itself. Do you know what I mean? So it's more about taking the muscles to fatigue to get them to adapt. So if I wanted to get strong at the squat, I'd be squatting a lot. But if I want to do it just to grow my legs, okay, yeah, I'm going to be doing that leg pressing movement that you'd get with a squat, but actually I can have a lot more variety to the movement. So I could, yeah, I could do barbell squats, but I could also do leg press. I could also do Bulgarian split squats because it's not so much about me doing the same thing over and over again to get good at that particular movement. It's now about I can do different variations to fatigue the muscle. So when it comes to hypertrophy, as you said earlier, you can you could do all sorts. You can use machines. You could use free weights. Jesus Christ, if you really wanted to, you could use resistance bands. You know, there's there's a whole wide. I think there's a lot more variety if your goal is hypertrophy. But as you said, I would I would agree. I would focus on compound lifts, but I would supplement with isolation work. Uh, I tell you what, um, a framework I like to have with with clients. Now, bear in mind, this is never like a do or die situation like I'm always adaptable with my clients but a little framework work I always have at the back of my mind is if we're doing like low repetition movements you know say sets of five reps and stuff I'll always do like a compound lift just because they get a bit of strength but they can still gain a bit of muscle with that rep range as well but if we're going to higher rep ranges say 10 or 10 plus I'd rather put them onto a machine or onto like an accessory movement for that particular muscle group just because they can for example, like if I had someone doing barbell squats for sets of five, great, it's strength and it's hypertrophy. But if I've got them going for sets of 10 or 12 or 
13 because I'm a lunatic and totally not OCD. Okay, well now I'm going to put it onto the, onto the leg press machine. The reason being is they've no longer got to worry about that um, stimulus to fatigue ratio. Where like with the barbell squat, you've now got to worry about your bracing, you know, having to brace your spine, having to worry about technique more, etc. It's more about, well, actually, for these 10 reps, 10 plus reps, it's more about just getting the muscle to go more closer towards failure. And we could get the muscle towards failure rather than having to worry about technique to failure. Because you're in a machine, you ain't got to worry about, <clears throat> God help me for saying this, but bracing your core, etc. <laughs> it's a yeah. machine, it's a roller coaster, it goes one way. You know, it goes backwards, it goes forward. You ain't got to worry about all this technique and other stuff. Who cares about the neuromuscular adaptations now? It's just about bringing the muscle to fatigue. So yeah, I like to like have a blend of different things when it comes to hypertrophy. So as we said at the start, going to the gym, pull something, push something, hinge something, squat something, whatever. Just think of the pattern opposed to the actual specific exercise and find what you enjoy. Go and have a fuck around with some shit. It could be on a dumbbell, a barbell, a machine, a resistance band. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big bod. machine. Sod yeah, it, go you for want. it. Yeah, do whatever you want. So if we look at specific exercise aside, we've also got to talk about splits, okay, because people like to do all sorts of different splits when it comes to the gym. Um, I'm going to go through some sort of pros and cons here because some people like to do full body, so what that means is they'll train pretty much their entire body in a session and just do that multiple times a week. But then some people will like to split up body parts, like on Monday they'll do one thing, Tuesday they'll do, I don't know, back and buys, chest and tries, over the other classics. So if we look at full body first then, you know, jump in at any point, Tom, if you, if you, if you want to add anything, but I'll say one of the pros for doing full body is you can get more training frequency in given the same number of days of training per week. So you could basically hit more muscle groups more often because you're basically doing all of them over the same amount of days as opposed to splitting them up. So say you train three times a week, you're going to hit them three times a week as opposed to just the one. But the con to that is it could take more time. That's the big one. The big one is time because if you're doing a full body in the gym, to hit the required dose, so as we're going to talk, we are going to talk about later the actual amount you need to do to hit that dose to grow muscle. If you're trying to hit that with every body part, it's going to take a bit of time. So if time's a barrier, this probably won't be the thing for you. Another thing, it could be a negative. It may induce more training stress, which could be a good thing, depending on how you look at it, but induce more training stress because you're doing a lot of stuff for your whole body in a day. If you're not recovering properly, you're going to feel fucked, basically. And another thing, which is not a huge issue, but you're probably going to be able, you're going to be less able to focus on one lift at a time. So a bit of chaos, maybe, because if you're thinking about loads of different fucking things, trying to do full body, it just gets a little bit more... It goes away from that thing we said at the start, doesn't it, Tom? Keep it stupid simple when you're trying to, trying to do loads of things in, in one session. I mean, at the beginning, you're not going to need that high amount of dosage anyway. So what I mean by that is you're... So when we talk about like um, hypertrophy, there is like a... There is evidence to suggest like there's like a good starting point for how many sets per muscle group you should do a week. And it's a little bit different from strength in regards to hypertrophy. Actually, it's a couple of more sets then strength on a weekly basis now because of that you are going to be doing more sets per muscle group per week believe it or not because i've just repeated myself i've realized um (laughs) but the thing is like when you're new to training you can probably start with the lowest amount of sets so you could probably go three times a week as you said bill you know and you could probably do full body what about when you get more experience and you need to increase the sets you need to do now well, it might actually be easier to, now you start thinking about body splits, so now you're actually increasing the frequency as well. So actually what you might start doing is you might need to add another day to your training. So now you're training four days a week, 
but it's going to be very hard to do full body four days a week because you're probably not going to get that recovery day in between. As a general rule of thumb, it's probably a good idea to have a rest day per muscle group afterwards. So you won't say train legs and then go and train legs the very next day. I do understand that some people don't have the privilege of, uh, you know, having a choice. But, you know, ideally, we want to have a rest day per muscle group. But let's just say we've now had to increase our frequency. Okay, well, now maybe that's an idea to start looking at body part splits where it's like, okay, uh, Monday I'm going to do legs, you know, Tuesday I'm going to do back, and then Thursday and Friday I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. I don't think there's a, a definite way you have to organise a split. So no, I think no. you can, despite what a lot of people believe, I do think you can be quite adaptable to this based on preference, you know, about how you want to organise your split. But if the frequency is going up, then it means that you can kind of split your body parts a little bit more. It allows you a bit more time for recovery. I mean, if we look at some of the pros and cons of doing splits, I mean, the obvious one for a pro would say, as you just said, Tom, shorter sessions potentially because you're doing less body parts, um, which means you can focus more as well on the body parts. You're not thinking about too much. Um, you could also say there's potentially less uh, training stress. So as Tom said, when you increase your volume, doing four or five days a week of full body, you're not going to probably have that enough recovery time to recover from the session. So by doing a split, there's going to be potentially less training stress, which is a good thing. Uh, cons though, is that you are obviously then limiting your volume and frequency. So if you're quite advanced, you could say you might be limiting a little bit, but that's obviously context dependent. And there's less frequent training of muscle groups, which could in some cases compromise hypertrophy. Once again, this is all context dependent. So really it's kind of what works for you and at what stage you are at your training. Um, and just kind of being adaptable with it. You don't have, it doesn't have to be one. You don't have to do, just stick to one. You can always move it around one week. So if one week you want to do full body, next week you want to go to split because that's how it works for you better. That's fine. You know, the world's not going to end. If it's a convenience thing, yeah, 100%. I think the key really is what can you consistently adhere to? What do you, if you can consistently adhere to doing yeah. a, a, a split, great. If you can't consistently adhere to do it full body because you're just fucked all the time, then don't do it. Simple as that. Just because if someone tells you to, don't just do what works for you really. At the end of the day, if like you're training, let's say three days a week, no, tell a lie. No, I will, I will stick to that. Let's say you are training three days a week and you're trying to add so many sets each one of those days, but you also work a job outside of that gym or you've got family or you've got other commitments and it's taking you like an hour and a half to complete each gym session. You're like, fuck me. That has been a rough week trying to squeeze all that in, negotiating that with my family and, you know, trying to negotiate this around my work as well. It might be a case of where, you know, it's made to think, Joe, you know what, this is way too much effort just organising your gym time. Actually, it might be better if you increase the frequency and it actually lowers the amount of time you get to spend in each gym because you've now got an extra day to spread out the time and spread out the sets. So, yeah, as you said, Bill, you can definitely chop and change it, whatever manages to fit into your schedule. But what's really important here, guys, is that whatever you do with your splits, full body split, however you decide to operate, is that you're hitting the right doses in those individual sessions. So I think we'll start something that comes up quite a bit is that is going to failure slash close to failure a good option for newbies? And before we do pursue that, I just want to quickly touch on something, Tom, I think I spoke about in a video is there's a difference between absolute failure and technical failure. Okay, people need to be aware of this because absolute failure yeah it's basically when your muscle is completely fatigued and you cannot physically do another rep okay that's absolute failure technical failure is when you decide to stop because your form has deviated to what you consider optimal form okay so let's say you're doing a deadlift if we look at the stereotypical people say if you go to a shrimp back deadlift it's fucking wrong we know that's not now that. we've spoke about it before but let's say that's your mindset if you then decide to stop because you go oh, i've lost a bit of form here that is classed as technical failure 
it sounds simple, but it can be kind of like a difficult one if you're not understanding like the the subjectiveness of like, well, is this actually appropriate for my goal? Is there any point, even though I can technically do more reps here, is my form appropriate for what is I'm trying to accomplish here? So whenever we've said spoken about form and technique, etc., most of the time it's been the context of trying to explain to our listeners that it's not got that much to do with pain and injury. But when it comes to completing a specific goal, maybe it does matter. So, for example, let's say the, this whole the whole idea of this episode is about building muscle hypertrophy, right? Okay, let's say on my training program, I have Romanian deadlifts. I'm going through my set. Everything's fine. I've got a nice, straight, neutral spine. You know, Stu McGill and that fucking bike lock twat. Andrew Lock would be super proud how bike straight my spine is. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> you should try tightening it um oh that's awful you have to you'd have to edit that out <laughs> um yeah produce a couple of links fucking donut but yeah let's say i've got a really straight back so like, i know that as i'm doing this romanian deadlift most of it is from pushing my hips back i am i'm hitting my objective of well if i'm pushing my hips back i'm targeting my hamstrings and my glutes here so my mission is my my, my objective is good so far but things start getting tough it gets to a point now where okay i am doing the movement but actually most of the movement is now coming from my spine rounding so i'm not actually pushing my hips back anymore okay do you know what since my whole objective was to target my hamstrings and my glutes which meant that i needed to be lengthened and contracted but now because most of the movement is coming from my back and not my hamstrings or my glutes Okay, maybe I'm going to count this as my RPE now or my reps in reserve. I don't. I I think this is failing now, because okay, I could push out some rough reps, but all I'm doing is I'm just increasing the fatigue for no reason. I've already stopped hitting the muscles as effectively as I want to be hitting them. I might as well stop. But you notice how I didn't say anything about oh, it's because it's to save your back. No, simply do the objective. If it was about strength and all I cared about was doing as many reps as possible, I'd keep going. But the goal yeah. here is hypertrophy. The yeah. goal is lengthening and contracting these muscles. I think the easiest thing, like the one comparison I always see in a gym is when people do things like bent over rows and they start to really shrug the weight in. So instead of keeping completely still and just literally pulling the arms in yeah. to squeeze into the back, they literally like have this momentum yeah. where they're literally going into a, a, a vertical fucking bench press where they're literally leaning back so much to get the weight up. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that, when you see that, that once again, you're not targeting the correct muscle groups there. So you're wasting, you're just basically fatiguing yourself for no reason. Yeah. So that's an example of technical failure if you kept going then you could keep going but what's the point just because you reminded me by saying vertical bench press there uh, another one is like the overhead press let's say you was doing you was targeting your shoulders right with an mm-hmm. overhead press with a barbell but it became so difficult you're arching your back so much it's now become a standing bench press it's now gone from a vertical press to a horizontal press now if it was to do a strength i'd be like fuck that's impressive I don't care about the muscles he's targeting, or she. All I care about is that they're getting the barbell overhead. So it's like, okay, yeah, that's awesome. Crack on. Looks tough, but crack on. But the goal is hypertrophy. My whole idea, or your whole objective here is to be targeting the muscle, uh, the shoulders. Well, actually, it's looking more like a bench press now. So, okay, yeah, it's targeting the shoulders to an extent, but it's no longer targeting what we'd want it to be targeting in an overhead press. So just see what I mean. But then there's another argument here, Bill. And um, so I've spoken before about how there's evidence to show that partial reps or half reps, as yeah, they're also known as, yeah. 
they can actually still produce hypertrophy. As long as they're in like a con in a lengthened position, they can still benefit. So this is an argument we can kind of have here where it's like, well, okay, well, in the case of like isolation exercises, what about the bicep curl? So at first I'm dropping the dumbbells down by my sides. I'm able to get them all up to my shoulders. Great, great. But those last couple of reps, I can only get them halfway. Now, technically, I could still keep going because they're in a lengthened position. So, okay, if we talk about technique and form breakdown, yeah, my reps don't technically look the same now, but I'm still able to get them from that lengthened position to a somewhat contracted position. So I think that it comes down to your choice, whether you're going to say, okay, am I contracting these enough now that I think I'm still getting something out of it? Because even if you're only able to get them at like a, what, like a 90 degree angle, you're probably still getting something out of it. Just because you can't get them all the way up anymore, we do have evidence that suggests that partial reps, as long as the muscle is started in a lengthened position, you can still uh, get gains from that. So it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? It depends, think it, as they say. I think in that context, when you're new though, that potentially could lead to more damaging effects in terms of fatigue because you are really pushing it more there if you get to the point where you're failing and you start going to partial reps to push those last few if you're new you might not be in a position to do that to recover or you might just it might hit you more because it's a new stimulus and you're like fuck me what have i done to my body so that's, that's probably more of an advanced thing you know when you get to the high when you've trained for quite a while you try to squeeze them last few fucking reps out yeah. fair enough but if you're brand new you probably don't want to be pushing yourself to absolute failure where you're at yeah. the thing is my, my training approach is when it comes to isolation work Hmm. I am happy for people to go more towards the actual true failure okay. aspect when it comes to isolation work, simply because I think it's easier to recover from. Yeah, as isolation, opposed to yes, things but... like uh, the compound list, which actually I'd automatically want to scale the RP back a little bit. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But saying that, if you were absolutely new, you probably don't have to go to true failure on isolation exercises anyway, because you're still that blank canvas. So, yeah. If if it's if it's going to save you a bit more resources to recover from for the rest of your training sessions throughout the week, then yeah, you probably don't need to go to failure. Just close to failure. That could be two reps from I can't do any more. And we are going to talk about how much uh, reps and reserve you need, which we'll, we'll we'll give you some more. We'll talk about what that is. But I think we'll start really is actual sets. So the actual amount of sets you should do per muscle group. We spoke about this before. If we look at the data, when you're starting out, you can probably get away with ten plus. So ten's like the little number there sets per muscle group per week now the caveat to this is see how your body so your body individually whoever you are listening reacts to things how it handles things because for you 10 sets in that first week might be fucking super difficult so you might be like oh my god i am fucked because you might be having like no sleep you've got loads of shit going on well for some of you it might feel all right so you might want to do a few more but 10 sets is kind of that mm. that minimum dose you want to be aiming for um, or working towards it let's say because if you can't hit 10 straight away because of fatigue that's fine um, when I say 10 sets by the way we spoke about this in the GVT episode this does not mean all at once so you don't have to do 10 sets of 10 to get your 10 per muscle group <laughs> this could be this could be split across the week okay you're not, you're not going to do 10 sets of bench press to hit your uh, can we just <laughs> clarify can we just clarify we're talking about sets per muscle group per not muscle per group exercise yeah. not per exercise yeah per muscle group yeah. so, so chest, that could be broken biceps. down so if we was doing legs 10 sets of legs well that could be broken down into five sets on the leg press five sets of barbell squats it's not going to be 10 sets of barbell squats then 10 sets of barbell squats you know it's per muscle group you can break it down I just want to clarify that in case someone does accidentally go out and do GBT yeah it goes fucking rogue yeah Um, and 
you could do more because you're probably if you if you are a regular around here you might remember we spoke to spencer a few episodes ago saying how 15 to 20 sets is really good as well that's kind of like the optimal range really but when you're first starting out starting at 10 is a good place because as we spoke up before when you underdose there's not really any problems that are going to happen from that but if you start overdosing early on you have got the potential to increase your risk of injury because you might be doing too much too soon, which will then reduce your enjoyment. It'll just basically all these problems. So there's no harm in underdosing a little bit at first. See how your body feels because you're a blank canvas, we said, so you'll probably see some results anyway. And then you yeah. can gradually increase. There's no need to go straight to fucking 20 sets a week per muscle group and then cause yourself to overtrain. Underdosing won't really cause any issues. I mean, if you spend like a couple of weeks in the gym and you haven't really been sore, I mean, chance are you will be somewhat sore and tender. You know, unless you've been like literally just picking up one kilo dumbbells. But like um, if after like a couple of weeks, like you've not really felt anything and you don't feel like you've got stronger, you don't feel anything's kind of changing, what's the worst you can do? Well, you're just like, well, okay, well, I'll just go a little bit intenser now. You know, I'll just, I'll just increase intensity a little bit. Whereas if it's if you go all out in your first week, there's a lot more that can go wrong. It's better to underdose than overdose at the beginning. It's trial and error. It's, Joe, I'm going to... One of the biggest takeaways I was going to put towards the end of this episode was, particularly in regards to hypertrophy as opposed to strength training, you need a lot of patience. Mm. A hell of a lot of patience. Fucking error too, right? And it's trial and error. So we've given you a dose there for sets. Okay, little starting point, 10 sets, whatever. The question is now, though, is how many reps should you be doing in you know in those sets how hard should you be hitting each rep uh, and each set etc okay so one thing we'll look at now i'll let tom explain this because he loves to he loves to explain this is rpe and rir so re- uh, rate of perceived exertion which might be familiar to you if you uh listen to our chapman pt series of the pet peeves or rir which is reps in reserve rir not the ira just want to clarify that <laughs> fuck's sake <laughs> that's a different thing that's a, that's a different episode for a different time for a different podcast <laughs> <laughs> come on out you blacks and tans Oh, God's sake. <laughs> Old Warson. Um But yeah, like, uh, talk about rep ranges. Like, if you have ever done a PT course in the UK, then you would know that it has to be reps of 12. Anything more, anything less is not going to do anything. Literally nothing happens. Three sets of 12 or nothing. For some reason, uh, when I did my course, it was just a simple case of, oh, for muscle growth, it has to be sets of 12 which is very odd. Um, In regards to hypertrophy, we need to generate a certain amount of fatigue and stress, which goes hand in hand, realistically. For that to happen, we need to do a certain amount of reps. So I would recommend anywhere from, once again, this is going from my own personal framework. You can gain muscle in different rep ranges, but anywhere from 5 to 15 reps, anywhere from 5 to 15 reps and relatively close to failure, so that's true failure, Bill, uh, unless it's, you know, going completely against uh, what your objective is in regards to your form, then yeah, 5 to 15 reps is a really good start. And that's cool because it means that you get to play around with it a little bit. It means that, okay, what about if I'm doing my f- sets of five on barbell rows? A barbell row is quite a difficult exercise when it's heavy, but at least you're going to get strong doing it because you're getting that rep range where you're going to get absolute strength. But then you also get that hypertrophy benefit as well. Basically, when it comes to muscle growth, as long as volume is equated for, whether it means through reps or through sets, then it's going to lead to hypertrophy. You know, there's a whole different wide range of reps you can do to gain muscle. I mean, we've spoken before that 
even in ridiculously higher yeah, high, yeah, ranges. Yeah, as long as it's know, close to failure. As long as, it, as long as the muscle is taken close to failure, you know, you're going to gain muscle. So the practical application of that is, let's say you do one day get a home gym, but you're very limited to the equipment you have. And all you have are these like um, Argos dumbbells, you know, very light dumbbells, which you know that you can't get to failure within five reps. Know, or even 10 reps you might have to do 20 sets of 20 sets of 25 or sets of four before you're even close to failure it's not ideal but as long as you can take the muscle to failure then you can get somewhere with that but yeah for your main compound lifts i i do prefer to go anywhere from like the five to ten rep range you can do more it's a free country it's just my preference it's just that i do find that with going high rep ranges for compound compound movements it is very fatiguing and i do find that form and technique will break down as you're going close towards failure so i'd rather keep it short and plus you get that strength benefit as well things like accessory exercises uh let's just say like things like lap pull down those kind of machine-based movements i'd rather keep those kind of like mid-range it's all my personal preference by the way this isn't you know the bible you know it's not like oh this is the commandment you have to do this is my personal preference you know accessory movement where it's more about taking the muscle to failure than um technique failure uh, when I say accessory movements, my bias, I, I'm talking about machines and stuff like that, things where you can't really go wrong in regards to form and technique. Saying that lap pull down is probably not the best example of that. Yeah, but lap see- pull down, you take off, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I see people doing mad stuff on that. So, yeah, hmm, maybe I should eat my own words there, go back on what I just said. Uh, isolation work, so things like bicep curls, tricep push down, you know, leg extensions, etc. I'd rather just go for high rep ranges on that. But there's no right or wrong, you know. A lot of it is kind of preference. You can gain muscle going for a whole wide range of rep ranges as long as it's taken close towards failure. Now, how close is up for debate? Notice that we said close to failure. Now, I would say if to keep it safe, go for RP8. So that means you've got two reps in reserve. So basically, yeah. Yeah. you're doing a movement until you think, shit, if I really tried, I can only do two more here. Okay, stop there. But as I said earlier, if it's isolation work, so like a bicep curl or something, I'm happy to take that to failure, to be honest with you. I'll do things like drop sets on stuff like that. I think to give a broad recommendation, I think I've spoke about this on a video before, was to make sure you're not doing less than the dose required, a good broad number. So Thomas spoke about reps in reserve there. So it's how many reps you've got left. So yeah, if you did, like say you did 10 bicep curls and you felt like, okay, I could do two more here, then I'd be completely fucked. That means you've got two reps left in reserve. A good place, a good number bracket to go between to make sure you're doing enough is one to five reps in reserve per set, context dependent. But one to two, as Tom said, is probably the best for hypertrophy. But yeah. don't get into the habit. You don't have to do that every time because there is a risk of doing too much too soon. So essentially we'll talk about periodization there. So making sure that you are periodizing your training so you're not fucking maxing out every time. But one to two reps in reserve is pretty important. And another thing to make a note of is something called autoregulation because if you're you're on a percentage-based program, right? Percentages are a fixed statistic or a fixed number in your program. Unfortunately, we are not fixed in terms of how we feel or how we can perform in the gym every day. So you need to become aware of that and that's auto-regulation. So by using things like RAR, if you're, let's say, I don't know, you're doing sets, whatever, and it says you need to be this weight, but you're doing a less weight and you're still getting to that point of where you've got two RIR, two reps in reserve, you're still going to get the same stimulus because you're still getting a couple of reps away from failure. Mm. So... You might not hit your percentage that you're supposed to, but you're still 
close to that point, you're still getting the benefit. So don't feel like you have to push yourself above and beyond um, to hit that percentage, for example, because once again, you could be just doing too much than uh, your body's really ready for in that particular day. So RAR and yeah. RP and things is a good is a good sort of thing to go because they're not fixed. They are based on you how you feel as opposed to a percentage yeah. which is fixed. I mean, the thing about auto regulation is that it can go the other way as well. There might be a day where you go into the gym and you look at your program and it says you need to do this weight, no matter what. This is the weight you're supposed to. Do. This is the percentage you are supposed to do. Okay, you might do that, but it's on a day like where you're really refreshed. Everything's been on track for whatever reason. For whatever reason, your training that particular day is fucking going awesome and you feel super strong. You might find that actually because you're sticking to that absolute percentage, you might be cutting yourself short. You might be stopping a lot further away than what you might be capable of. So, you know, it's not always about our oh, regulation. is more about making sure you're not doing too much. Actually, it could also be making sure you're not doing too little. Progress isn't always going to be linear or it is safe to say with hypertrophy it's a little bit more easier in the context that you can well as long as you're going somewhat towards failure then yeah wicked <laughs> another thing to think about when you said that point there tom is you can in some ways relate percentages to like rp and ri so let's say you've your program says you've got 80 percent yeah squat 80 percent. you could say that means you've got two reps in reserve so if you're doing 80 percent of your squats ever but you're finding hang on i could do like another six reps here i'm feeling this is so easy and that's a point of saying okay maybe you're feeling super good that day or maybe you've just not maybe you've progressed quicker than your program's allowing so there's no reason if you just stop and go oh i'll do 80 percent the program says 80 percent i'll stop you could keep going because you know you've got way more yeah. reps in the in the tank there. You know you want to get up to that that one or two reps in reserve. I mean, a, a decent program would would have the option of like, I mean, look, at the end of the day with percentage based training, it is still useful. It gives you the idea of well, this is kind of like my baseline. So it lets you know if training is going up or down in the long run, and also it gives you an idea of what you're kind of what you're hoping to aim towards. Hasn't got to be a specific number, but at least you kind of know I'm going to be hovering around that number, where it be high or low or ban on. But over the long run, those percentages do let you know if your training is progressing or regressing. But a good program will have some form of option where it allows for auto-regulation. It allows you to input, well, actually, I was able to do more on this day, despite the RPA being ban on track of what was expected. I've managed to lift more weights or more reps, even though the RPE target is what the objective was. And that's the important thing because I think another thing we should probably mention is, you know, we've seen papers, haven't we, Tom, flat about talk and people just on forums and stuff talking about the whole thing of you must do high reps, low weight, or you know, uh, high weight, low reps sort of thing. One's better than the other. And as we said, they're like, yeah, to get toned, you've got to do yeah, you've got to do loads of reps with a really low weight. It's like, well. Not really. Once again, it comes down to this going close to failure thing. Yeah. Um, you could do it body weight. You can do it body weight, yeah. which is like, or you can go heavy. You can go heavier than you think. Like it doesn't. There isn't really a a, a fixed formula per se. Obviously, if we we're doing strength training, yes, you're going to go fucking. You know, you're going to go trying to get heavier and heavier so you can push yourself. But in terms of building muscle, so the context we're talking about, as you said, that was it. Five. What did you say about five to fifteen reps? It's probably the. It's not. It's not that absolute go to. Uh, in fact, that is actually the recommendations for like um, some of the papers I've seen, particularly. Uh, oh, it's one that I've actually done, I've done an infographic for very recently, but it's like when you've got no time to train, and basically it gives you this idea of like go for five to 15 reps. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. Joe, what I just want to quickly go back to exercise selection because you just said something that jogged my memory a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, even though we're saying like it gives you a lot more variability, 
uh, hypertrophy in regards to what exercises and movements you can do, there can be a trade-off in some cases, depending on, as I said, the fatigue to stimulus ratio. So for example, what is going to be better for growing your chest? A machine chest press. So a, a, you know, a machine where you're basically doing chest press, like sat down, or push-ups. Now look, you can gain muscle doing both, but my bet is probably going to be on the machine chest press. The reason why is that even though both movements are a horizontal push, now with a push-up, you're having to do a planking motion. So you're also getting fatigued from having to do the plank. Now the whole idea is I want to build my chest, right, and my triceps. But now I'm having to worry about, well, what if my, what if my, oh, fucking shoot me in the head for saying this, Bill. But what if my core strength <laughs> gives out gets fatigued quickly and my chest does so okay i've gone to fail on the push-ups but not so much because of my chest because of my core strength what about pull-ups or chin-ups the idea is i want to train my back and my arms okay cool but what if my grip gives out and fatigues quicker than what my actual back muscles do now with machine-based movements obviously you haven't got to worry about things such as like your core strength on like a machine chest because you sat down all that movement is coming from the chest. So this is why I think... Now, even though you can grow muscle with bodyweight movements, of course, I'm, I'm not saying anything different. I do think that in some cases, you know, some movements might be more efficient than others, but I'm not going to be one of those biomechanical dicks that are going to say, you know, no, you have to do it this way. Some people might not have the equipment where they've got to do what is more biomechanically more efficient and optimal, you know. But I do want to put or that idea out there. They might, they just might not like them. Yeah, Exactly. You know, if it's what keeps them going, they've got a chin-up bar in their kitchen. So every time they walk in out yeah, the kitchen, they do on. five pull-ups, wicked, done. You know, they can't afford a gym membership, so they can't go to the fucking, you know, seated row with resistance bands attached to it and, you know, Cochrane's and whatever else these people are attaching to machines nowadays. Yeah, I, I do want to just mention that in regards to hypertrophy, you might get some choices that are more, you know, probably going to be more efficient in that regard in regards to like the, the stimulus to fatigue ratio. Uh, so just to quickly clarify some points there. when you, If you listen to this and you are just starting out at the gym to so build some muscle, aiming for that 10 sets per muscle group in those initial few weeks would be, would be a good place to go. Looking at about one to two reps and reserves on your sets. Okay, so not to failure, but close to failure. Okay, that's a good thing to start with. And obviously, as you mm. progress in your training, you can start to be more specific and chasing. But that's a good place to start. Uh, Tom, I mean, you've got a beginner template thing you've been working on, haven't you? I mean, how does that work? Just to give it a context, because that could kind of provide people with a little bit more of how, let's say, like the week of that. How does that work to get people in position to grow muscle? Yeah, so I have like, um, it's, it's now it's more designed for strength. But if you are a novice, then it's absolutely fine for hypertrophy as well at the end of the day. It's a nice starting point. But uh, the, the way this program works is that it's three days a week, so it's nice and simple. You basically get to select your own, your preferred exercises. There's varying rep rate, varied rep ranges, and a spoiler alert, kind of like what I've said here, is that the movements where you're doing like your big strong lifts, those are mostly going to be free weight based, whereas your higher rep ranges are going to be more kind of machine accessory based. But the Big thing is it's basically got like a it's a spreadsheet with a built-in formula where it will auto-regulate every single set you do depending on how many reps in reserve you think you have for each completed set. So it will adapt to the weight necessary, making it go up or down depending on your performance. So yeah, if anyone wants that, it's like a four-week template 
which technically is repeatable, uh, yeah, just hit me up and I'll shoot that over to you for free. You can try that out. Yeah, awesome. There you go, yeah. It's not bad, is it? A nice little free thing there. So, yeah, get in touch, guys. Details will be down in the show notes for that. okay guys you've got your sets and stuff you've got your reps or you've, you chose your exercise you've, you're in the gym you know what you're doing now so the question is now what what happens next you know you, are you gonna start building muscle well all i'm gonna say is expect a non-linear journey of ups and downs over months and months years and years of training before you see any serious gains okay because if you're expecting after a month to see fucking as i said at the start big pythons quadzilla a bum that takes 45 minutes to navigate, you're going to be very disappointed when you find out that that's not the case, okay? And if I was to give you a ballpark figure, this is something I've seen from online, I don't know if you've seen anything different, Tom, but if across the board, for most non-enhanced lifters, that's lifters who do not take uh, things like steroids, etc., you can expect to see 0.25 to 1 kilo of muscle gain per month. Or that's 0.55 to 2.2 pounds per month. And that's if you're responding well to your current program that you've got, okay? Mm. So that's quite a broad, as you can appreciate, it's a broad number there. 0.25 to 1 kilo is a lot, but that just shows you how non-linear this journey is. There's so many variables which can affect yeah. how much you gain each month. I mean, the biggest, uh, you know, the elephant in the room that we've not really mentioned is uh, genetics. So it's impossible for us Hedging, to put yeah, a number course, on yeah. it about what to expect because there's so many different factors at play. But those numbers you gave just there, yeah, let's say you're getting everything kind of right. You're managing to, you know, have a decent amount of sleep. You're training consistently to intensity. You know, uh, you're on copious amounts of trend. Um, you know, your nutrition's good. You know, your exercise selection and how you perform those movements efficiently, then yeah, you're on track. Um I suppose like another difficult one is like, well, how can you actually measure the progress? Cause it can be hard to see the changes, especially if you're not a patient person. Easiest thing is like, just look at yourself in the mirror or pictures, you know, um, I, I very rarely recommend using like body fat composition machines, etc. But like, um, I'd, yeah, probably pictures. Just I'd recommend the, the picture approach, Tom, because I think, I think the problem in the mirror is if, if you look at yourself in the mirror every day, it's very hard to see marginal gains. If you take a picture yeah. of yourself on day one and then take another one in a month's time, you're more likely to see a difference because it's a big window of <laughs> it's time. It's the toilet paper analogy, isn't it? You don't, you don't realise whenever someone takes a single sheet of toilet paper off the roll. But if you come in a month later and Jeffrey, you know, <laughs> has taken off the roll, you fucking notice. Jeffrey? Why is it Jeffrey? <laughs> Who's Jeffrey? Why is he taking off the roll? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I looked out the window then when I thought that name as well. I don't know why. It just seemed right. Have you got a neighbourhood nonce called Jeffrey? <laughs> we we have now. <laughs> That's my alias. <laughs> oh, God. Well, so you're a nonce. Fucking hell, Tom. Let's take a turn. Moving on rapidly. Yeah, moving on rapidly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, guys, basically what I'm saying is manage your expectations, have fun, enjoy it. Uh, what we are going to finish with now, though, is we're going to look at some Instagram poll responses that we've done for this whole series. Uh, we asked a couple of questions. Um, we're just going to go... Some of these, obviously, are kind of like similar to what we spoke about, so we'll just gloss over them, but it's good to see what you guys sort of say so the question i asked first was are there any ronnie coleman references ronnie coleman reference there isn't actually actually is there let me check hold on let me just double check yeah um, oh that's disappointing i mean i did say one at the start tom lightweight baby 
Lightweight. Lightweight, baby. Good job. Tis nout but a peanut, as I say up north. <laughs> nout but a peanut. Nout but a peanut. Although you'd be sitting in such a southern accent. Nout but a peanut. <laughs> nout but a peanut. Or <laughs> <laughs> you go, Scouse Thompson. Tis nout. Nout but a peanut. Go <laughs> well, do Geordie. Do Geordie one. Oh, fuck. I can't do Geordie. Uh, I can't. I can't fucking do I've been around enough of them, but I, I can't go. do it. Go on, give it a go. That's the one accent I can't do. Well, just give it a go. Give it a try, go on. Hang on, right, hang on. Uh, why, right, think Ant and Deck, Ant and Deck. You were just going to uh, say why, Pet, weren't you? <laughs> oh, it is not but a peanut man. <laughs> what was that? That was, like, that, was, that was still Scouse, almost. Oh, I told you I wasn't good at it. Yeah, never mind. We had a go, didn't we? I told you I wasn't good at it. <laughs> Kez will be fuming if he's listening. An attempt was made. Question number one. What is the, uh, what is the hardest thing about gaining muscle? And one of them is interesting. This one was being sore afterwards. Now, something we should probably stress is that being sore is not mm. a requisite. It's not a requirement to gain muscle. You do not need to be sore after every session for your body to grow muscle. Actually, being sore all the time is actually an indication that you're either doing too much too soon or your recovery is not good enough, essentially. Yeah, this is a bit of a tricky one mm. um, because, as you said, like if it's something where you're constantly, constantly sore, sore yeah. to the point that it's affecting your training – then like, and I mean, it's like day in, day out, all the time to the point that you're constantly suffering. Chances are that you're you're doing something with overtraining, you're not recovering well. But at the same time, it can be a useful indicator where if you've done something new, and um, for example, if I was doing, if I was if I was doing Romanian deadlifts, and suddenly the next day I was really feeling in my hamstrings, you know, to me that's like a good indication that ah, well at least it's targeting the well, that muscle has definitely been hit hard, isn't it? That's what I was looking to do, my hamstrings. So in that case, it can be an indicator every now and again that, well, at least I know it's worked the correct place. If I was doing lots and lots of rows, you know, or pulling motions, but one day I wanted to change my technique or my exercise selection a little bit more, that I wanted to focus more on my upper back or my traps with my rowing and my pulling, and I did that, and then like the next day, for once, my upper back is really sore. It could be an indicator of, ah, oh, well, that's worked then, cool. Mm. But if it's constantly happening, yeah. then, yeah, that's a bit of a red flag. I think it depends on it depends on the severity of it. Like, if you can't fucking walk every day, that's an issue. But an important thing I think Tom said there is if you're new, let's say you're listening to this and you are new to the gym, you probably are going to expect some soreness. So don't think, oh, you're just doing too much because you're a bit sore. If it's a new, if it's a new stimulus, something you've never, ever done before, like you've increased your volume, you've added a new exercise in there, the chances are you're going to be a bit sore. But as I said, if you're still doing the same exercises and volume you've been doing for the last few days or weeks and you're still feeling super sore, that's when you start asking some questions of what's actually going on. This one came up a couple of times actually, was patience and having the patience to put in the work and not to get instant results. So yeah, we spoke about that before, didn't we? Patience, that's just part of it. If you're not very patient and you're expecting things to happen overnight, you're just going to disappoint yourself. It's not going to change anything. You're not going to suddenly grow muscle because you're getting upset about it. You've just got to accept this is a it's a long it's a long process to build a serious amount of muscle. So if you go in with that expect if you go in with that mindset of be patient, enjoy the process, enjoy the journey instead of the destination, as they say cliche, you'll have a better time of it. I mean, to just mirror what you said, um, I've spoken before about, you know, you could be process driven, but it could also be goal driven. Uh so process driven whereas like your your actual goal is to simply go through the motions, just go to the gym, just to train. But then obviously like goal, you know, goal driven would be, no, no, my objective here is just to get absolutely fucking swole and just get massive muscles, etc. just to grow big. You can kind of have a bit of both. 
you can meet in the middle here. So it's one of those things where, okay, if your goal is to, you know, get swole, so to speak, at the same time, you still need to enjoy the process. It does help to enjoy the process. So this is where, like, this is one of the reasons why, um, even though I was talking about how some exercises might be more efficient, you know, than others for hypertrophy, this is why I'll always put exercise preference and enjoyment over oh, what's optimal when we talk biomechanics. I'd rather put someone's enjoyment over the whole... Because uh, at the end of the day, what's, when we talk about optimal, optimal is subjective. What is optimal that's going to keep uh, someone coming back to the gym and enjoying it? Well, it's probably going to be the exercises they enjoy. Well, there you go. Those exercises are optimal for you as a person, as an individual. Now, if it's like, well, what's more optimal biomechanically? Once again, that could be subjective because, okay, you might get a better contraction through this exercise, but then you might get it might be more optimal because the the fatigue to stimulus ratio is uh you know better with this particular exercise. Oh, but you might be dealing with an injury or pain, so this exercise might be different. So do you see what I mean? This is why I'd rather people just be going back and doing the movements they're enjoying. The thing that keeps them looking forward to and enjoying the process of going to the gym and not just thinking about, oh, and I've got to do this particular movement because apparently all the other ones are shit and this is the only one that, you know, puts my fibres at this angle. Next one, Big Pete. I'm going to assume it's a joke one. He's put the actual weightlifting. Um, I mean, that's part and parcel of gaining <laughs> your muscle. You need to do some sort of resistance training. Um, if you don't enjoy lifting weights and stuff, then... Uh, it can be annoying. It can be It can be quite a bit, it can be a bit of a nuisance, isn't it? I suppose it's like saying you want to be a race car driver, but you hate driving. Especially when the people expect you to put your weight back afterwards as well. It's like, oh, oh come the, on. the audacity. After all I've, that just, I've just done I've just done five to fifteen of these and you want me to go and put it back. Gosh come on. <laughs> Get on the fair. RPC scale, fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and I mean this next one here, Tom, basically just sort of echoes what you said about the enjoyment was that not getting bored of your program because for some people, as you said, building muscle can be a bit tedious sometimes, um, and it is hard maybe not to get bored of it. Uh, that is why it's really important to find things, find a location that's easy to get to, that's a place you can enjoy, maybe go with some friends who you enjoy spending time with and yeah, find a program that you actually enjoy doing with the and the exercise. And the good thing to know as well, I mean, you can find free stuff online um, and you can find programs online which are good, but the, the issue with that is it's fixed, there's no change with it. Whereas if you work with someone like a PT, for example, if you get bored of something, if they, like as we said, with hypertrophy, you can yeah. you can change exercises quite easily and still get the same result. So if you get bored of a certain thing, tell your PT and he'll be like, okay, or he or she will be like, okay, I'll change it for you, no problem. And then you've got your back with enjoyment. So that's an option. I just I just want to repeat what I said earlier, and that is that unlike strength, um, hypertrophy there's a lot more wiggle room with what you can do and what you can chop and what you can change. So in regards to like the enjoyment and getting less stagnation in your programming or your training regime, you know, it could be a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable. And if it's not just with like the exercises you do either, but it could also be with the training systems as well. Yeah. So we've got supersets, we've got drop sets, we've got pyramid sets, we've got bloody, even things like EMOMs, even EMOMs, uh, there's myo reps. There's so much more variations that you can do as long as you're doing those movements somewhat to failure. Uh, before we move on to the next question, I just want to say, Tom, how I'm very impressed about how political we've been with our use of language. You've gone with uh, hypertrophy, and I've gone with hypertrophy. So we've kept both sides of the both sides of the uh, the camp. We've kept them. We've kept them on at bay. You know, I'm on one side, you're on the other side. So if anyone wants to kick off, we've kept you yeah. both happy. I mean, both are wrong. To be honest <laughs> with you, the true pronunciation is actually hippy trophy. Hippy trophy. 
Hippotrophy. Hippotrophy. No, no, hippotrophy. Hippotrophy. What, what, what did I say? Hippie... I don't know, I've just fucking changed it all over again. Yeah, hippotrophy. Hippotrophy, I'm going to say. Hippotrophy. 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 There's no way I could say that again. Hippotrophy. Hippotrophy. sounds like a fucking... I, I, there you go. No, hippotrophy. I, I can never say that again. The way I said it just then, I, I can never repeat that. Do you reckon you can say it backwards? It's gone. Hippotrophy. What? Wait. Can you say it backwards? It's, if you actually read it backwards, it sounds like a, an ancient Greek temple or Hippo- some worship. Hippotrophy. <laughs> What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> God knows. Yeah, fuck knows. Are you reading it from your uh, notes? Yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to. It's not going too well though. I'm just going to stop now because I'm just going to bath myself some more. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave it there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll move on to the next question, which was once again we're asking you guys for your advice for people who want to build muscle, and something that came up quite a few times was eat. And now eat. Yeah, as we spoke about earlier, to keeping it stupid simple, you need to be really in a surplus to gain and a lot of people are actually under eating in a in a uh, sort of their environment yeah. and then they're defining they're like they say you know when people say oh, i'm a hard gainer you know i'm not building muscle it's like you just hard gainer yeah yeah just fucking you just need to eat more you need to eat you're either doing way too much activity than you think or you're just eating not enough you probably yeah you might if you're having a one if you're having one big mac meal a day and you think oh i eat, I eat mcdonald's every day yeah, but that's just one meal you're probably still not eating enough. If you're not great, if you're doing the right yeah. stuff in the gym and you're not gaining muscle, there's a re- you're probably not eating enough. So you need to eat more. Whatever you're eating, eat fucking more. I mean, that's not us being unempathetic to that ordeal, but it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, if any other thing that might need changing, it's like, well, okay, look, it's not that you're genetically predispositioned to never gain weight. It's just that we kind of need to look into different factors here and see what we can do to make things as effortless as possible for you to somewhat start gaining weight. It might be a nutritional... Well, it is going to be a nutritional overhaul, isn't it? But it could be like um, how you're structuring your your, your, your meals, how to get more calories in, etc. You know, it's not the end of the world. It's just going to require a bit of restructuring, probably a little bit of re-education. Yeah. And uh, yeah, possibly try new things. Like one of the uh, one of the best pieces of advice I give you is uh, having a jar of peanut butter with every single meal. That, uh, that, that goes down really well. Um, really gets you into that surplus. Yeah, yeah cooking oils etc little tiny things that are you know uh high density and whoa, calories whoa, 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 whoa. did you not even dismiss what i just said did you just go along with what i said because i said it with such confidence you just did you just accept that i said i have a jar of peanut butter with every meal no i don't have it no but you just you just you, you have it i was taking a piss but you just like glossed over the fact that i said i have a jar of peanut a jar of peanut butter with every meal and you sort of cracked on as if what's wrong with that what do you, well, you didn't say the size of the jar, Bill. Well, obviously, most jars are like four hundred fifty grams well, of peanut butter. Have you ever gone to? That's have bang- you ever gone to like you know those hotels where they have like a little tiny sample uh, jars of jam? Oh, you, have you never gone a- to ones that have like little tiny jars of peanut butter? No, I've not. I've never seen that. Don't try and don't me try neither. And, no, no, don't, but they yeah. probably exist. No, you're, somewhere. you're tr- don't backtrack here, mate. <laughs> you're definitely you just definitely didn't hear me properly, or you just because I said it with such fucking panels and I'm confidence. I'm googling it right now. Miniature peanut butter tubs, peanut butter cups. There you go. Wow. Jar. What about a jar of peanut butter? Oh my god, they do it. <laughs> We've got this tangent. <laughs> Love it. Oh, okay. No, that's no. Uh, that's for a dollhouse. Ignore me. For a dollhouse. Right. Crack on. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. Um, yeah, I thought it was little miniature peanut butter jars. It was for a dollhouse. What were you saying before I interrupted you? 
Sorry, but I was coughing. I didn't hear. <laughs> I said, "What were you saying before I interrupted you with my peanut butter?" I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I've lost. I, I got lost in the tr- in the <laughs> in the argument. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what you're saying. I, I think it was a good point though, because I was going to. Re- good advice. There you go. <laughs> Just smash peanut butter. Just smash- to be fair, I actually thought you said a spoonful of peanut butter. <laughs> oh no, no, yeah, that's fucking vile, isn't it? Um, yeah, but what were we saying? I completely forgot what we were saying now. So we've spoken about things like protein shakes, etc. Now. You can make your own like mass gainer if you are a hard gainer. So that's where you have like a protein shake. Great. Then you add fins into it. So things like oats, you know, or yeah, like a spoonful of uh, peanut butter. Not a jar, but a spoon of peanut butter. Little things that are like high in calories, but low in volume. Things that are very easy to eat. Someone was, I forgot they said now, someone I was speaking to, they said that when they were, they were bulking or trying to get those calories in, they were having like a shot of like cooking oil with something. I can't remember what it was, but it was like a little weird... Yeah, bulking concoction. Yeah, but but no, honest to God, oh, it, oh, I remember Terry Crews. Uh, he once said that he used to have like a spoonful of coconut oil. Oh God, right, yeah, it's very dense, I suppose, in Absolute calories. Absolute lunatic, lovable lunatic though. Uh, or like a brick of Kendall mint cake. Of what? <laughs> Kendall mint <Okay>. cake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing, by the way. <laughs> so basically, yeah, eat more. And this is where the awareness comes in. Because another another thing someone sent in here was was protein uh, consistency. Now, protein consistency is another one because it's very easy for you to do it for a bit. But if you start going off the rails and start forgetting to have a amount of protein, you can get off it. So that comes back to the same with eating more. What you need to do is you probably just start early on writing things down like a diary and being like, okay, see what's going on. Because if you start to notice a pattern of, okay, certain days I'm not hitting my protein target, I'm not hitting my calorie target, then you can start asking yourself the question of why is this happening? What do I need to do to make this not happen? So if you're finding that, okay, every Wednesday is a day where I've got a 12-hour shift and you're not eating enough protein, you're not eating enough calories, then you need to say to yourself, okay, how can I enable success on these days what can i do do i have to prepare something beforehand do i have to have something ready to have when i get in or you know there's all these things you need to ask yourself because if you're not doing it consistently consistently you won't see the results you you know desperately desire as i've said before so yeah bring yourself awareness to what's going on and then you can make change happen and another one all this is from one of our new patrons one of our new patrons tom big sam also the one who has been sending us all the BDSM stuff. So I feel like him becoming a patron is kind of payment for giving us so much BDSM content and us having to uh, say it on a public podcast. I feel like it's his way of saying, sorry, lads, sorry about that. Um, you know, <laughs> here's some money. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Relax. Um, <laughs> there's, no, there's no anonymity here. <laughs> he's basically said volume, nutrition, recovery, and consistency is all you need, which, yeah, I mean, as a basic, like obviously we've gone into context on the podcast, but yeah, as a basic, yeah, it's, keep it simple, stupid. Just keep it, just keep it simple. Um, do the basics really well, and you'll get muscle. It's that simple. Obviously, taking into consideration, I think we've spoke about in today's it's, episode. It's not, we're not saying that obviously it's super easy, but the framework is simple. It's just finding what you can do to stay within that framework and to chop and change what is necessary. And that is really all we've got for this one here. So. I mean, you should really be equipped now with the knowledge to go and build some muscle by yourself and jump into the gym. But if, you, if you're not, or perhaps you just want a bit of extra guidance, of course, as always, get in touch. Um, we're happy to help. As Tom said, he's got that template there. We've always, you know, potentially can steer you into the right direction. If we're not available PT-wise, we can always steer you to people who we'd recommend as PTs as well. So if you want a bit more help, of course. But as I said, this episode is really there to help you get started. And as I said, when you're brand new anyway, you're a blank canvas, get in there just start fucking throwing some shit around. Do some stuff, you'll have a good time um, and you'll probably build a little bit of muscle as well. So yeah, yeah. go out there and enjoy it um, and get some pythons. 
get some quadzillas and get a peachy bum that takes 45 minutes to navigate, as I've said a few times now. You're all over this peachy bum this week, aren't you? Love it, mate. So that's what it's all about, isn't it? Peachy bum. I did France uh, today. Yeah, last actually. words for me. Uh, yeah, just um, train hard. Uh, train hard. Sorry, train hard. God, that was an intentional. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> train hard. No, no, it's as as we've kind of like laid out, there is a framework here. Um, and as Sam said on our opinion polls there, one of the main things is getting a certain amount of volume in or the dose. Uh, yeah, make sure we're recovering, make sure we're sleeping well. Um, it does help to have a low amount of stress, although not all of that is within our control, regrettably, unless you have access to firearms. Um, nutrition as well, also as to our recovery. And yeah, somewhat training uh, close to failure and working all the major muscle groups. And if there's a particular muscle that you want to pop out a little bit more, spend most of your isolation work on those muscles, you know, usual ones being the arms, you know, so triceps and biceps and the shoulders and uh, the chest as well. Or if you do like a peachy bum, there's always hip thrusts, Bill. Oh, yeah, a little hip thrust for that. Glutes. Yeah, love it. Hip thrust. What's yeah. his name? Fucking peachy bum. What's his, yeah. what's his name? That geezer. Hip thrust man. Oh, the guy that blocked me. Now, he's a nonce. Is he actually In my opinion, as my lawyers have uh, instructed me to say when speaking about influencers... Just bleep out the name and people can wonder who we're talking about. Oh, that's about. a better idea, isn't it? People are like, who the fuck is it? You know, people, who, oh, talk, what I'll people do, can wonder who we're talking about. What I'll do, Tom, is I'll, I'll tell the patrons who we spoke about. Listen, there's no, there's no way anyone's going to guess who we're talking about when we talk about the hip thrust person. Yeah, no, who, how on earth would they know that? Who on earth would they know? Anyway, yeah. but if you do want to know, yeah. I will actually put a little post on Patreon saying who it is just to you know because those guys they deserve they deserve the extra the intel that you know the covert intelligence <laughs> uh, but yeah it, it has been a pleasure as always guys and we will see you on the next one yeah i'll see you later as always thanks for listening and as always if you did enjoy slash find that useful share it with all your friends let them know there is a fountain of knowledge to be gained right inside their listening device so send them a link or share it to your stories on whatever social media platform you use and yeah we'd really appreciate that Word of mouth is probably one of the best tools for promoting a podcast, really. So, yeah, thank you in advance if you do decide to share. We will see you next week, same time, same place, for a brand new episode. See you soon.